Hello, readers. Coming up in a minute, it's my conversation with Lexi Pappas. Before that, though, I wanted to remind you about BooksOnPod.com. It's where you can hear each and every previous episode, as well as subscribe to the show on various podcast platforms. And to stay up to date on new episodes being released, as well as highlights from previous episodes, give us a follow on Twitter and Facebook at BooksOnPod. Hi, this is Mikel Jolet. My new book is called Hollywood Park. You're listening to Books on Pod and my conversation with Trey Elling, a great dude who's a great reader. We discuss everything from escaping cults to addiction to high school bullies to dealing with grief, trauma, quarantining, you name it. Really love this conversation. Check it out. Hello, readers. Alexi Pappas is an award-winning writer, filmmaker, and Olympian who's telling her unique, inspirational story in a memoir titled Bravey, Chasing Dreams, Befriending Pain, and Other Big Ideas. Alexi, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. I mean, I wish I was in Austin, to be honest, but uh, I'm, I'm doing great, all things considered. I have to admit, as somebody who had the pleasure of speaking with you a couple years ago at South by Southwest, prior to the premiere of your film Olympic Dreams that you co-starred with Nick Kroll in, I was a little bit surprised to see that you had a memoir coming out on January 12th. You turned 31 in just a couple of months, which is usually pretty young for someone who's just written a memoir, but holy cow. Have you been through some things, both really good and really bad, in your first three decades on this planet? Why did you feel like now was a good time to share your story with the people? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because it's not so dissimilar from making a movie in that, like, I always try to make my films about experiences or worlds that I have this unique access into. And when I think even about making Olympic dreams, I I think I I wanted and needed to make that movie when I was still in the heartbeat of that moment in my life to really like tell it honestly. And I think with this memoir, you know, a lot of it is about my experience losing my mom to suicide when I was four and then just coming out of that finding female mentorship, you know, without a mom. And then it came full circle with my own post-Olympic depression and just needing to figure out how to like chase my own dreams and and have a different outcome than my mom did. And I think now is the right time to write it because I just, you know, I'm close enough to it, but far enough from it that I could, uh, I think, tell the best story and communicate in a way that translated my experience into something that people, um, that would connect with people. So it just, it felt like, truly like the end of the beginning of my life and the right time to bookend it with this memoir. It was heartbreaking for me to read what you went through as a child with your mother. I have a six and a four-year-old at home and just to learn some of the stories that you went through and some of the memories that you have of her and then her eventually committing suicide when I think you were almost five years old. My heart goes out to you on that one. And as you state throughout these pages, you in some weird ways are better as a person because of that experience. But for those who are unaware of your story, what was your mother to you in the first four years of your life before uh, tragedy struck? Yeah, you know, it's, well, first of all, it's it's so interesting how like you can have an evolving relationship with someone who's no longer here and it really is based in your own understanding of them and of your own experiences. But those first four years when she was alive, it was really like, you know, the hardest moments of her life and she was really sick and she was um, 
bi- bipolar, manic, and um, this she had a, you know addictions to various medications and and drugs, and she was in and out of my life. And I think the most heartbreaking part for me was at that time I was kind of fed a narrative, and I think even she might have felt this way where she felt unhelpable. And I thought, and I was told, you know, she just like had to go. And what I learned eventually is that she just didn't have great care. And I think mental health understanding uh, has come a long way. And it just is like, it's sad, but it's also like good for me to understand that she was a person and a human being who just didn't get the help that she could have, you know? Yeah. And you mentioned four specific memories that you have of your mom, which honestly seems like quite a bit for somebody who's not even five years old to have those memories of somebody. Three are bad. One is Mm -hmm. utterly soul crushing for me. I I certainly don't want to have you tell the story right now, but it's uh, well worth the price of admission for Bravey. But uh, there is one good as well. What is your one good memory with your mom? Yeah. So my memory, my good memory of her was when she taught me to ride a bike and I, it's really, you know, the whole memory is like probably like two seconds long. And it's just that feeling where I'm biking on a two wheeler for the first time. And I look back and she's watching me and I just have so few memories of her paying attention to me because she was really, really ill. And I just remember feeling so special and you know, I've used my imagination as best I can to like extend that memory and just imagine all the moments she spent teaching me how to get up on the bike. Like what were all the moments where I couldn't quite get up? And even though I don't know how true it is, I don't know how much time she spent with me. And I don't even know if she was truly, you know, as present as I wanted, but I believe that she was. And I think what that memory taught me is like, we're allowed to use our imagination to our benefit and we're allowed to take and run with the things that feel useful. And to me, that memory is really positive and it's useful for me to take it and run with it as I have. Your dad strikes me as a pretty incredible figure in your life. What sort of parent was he when you were a child going through adolescence? Yeah. Oh man. So my dad, I think he's really like a superhero in, in, in a lot of senses of the word. Um, and he raised us on his own, but the way that he raised my brother, my older brother and me was very, um, it was pretty like only do what's necessary to get us, uh, in a position to thrive and support ourselves. Meaning he made sure we had all of our basics, like we were fed and we were kept busy. So he (laughs) put me in sports, um, and you know, theater and all those activities. And I think part of that is his engineering background he wasn't so used to talking about the hard stuff and I think he was more of an action-oriented guy who thought that we could learn how to fall down and get back up by playing sports by trying out for the play rather than talking about it and that was both good and difficult and eventually I think we do have to talk about those things but he did the best he could and I truly admire the way that he raised us. I think it's it's remarkable. And he also encouraged you to fail, which may sound terrible to the most helicoptery of parents out there, but it is important, whether we're kids or adults, to go through life's hardships to learn those lessons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think that, like, the book is as much about parenting as it is about growing up and chasing dreams, <laughs> and that 
really the worst thing we could do for a kid is to prevent them from failing or protect them so so much that they don't understand what it is to to fall down and i think my dad knew that it was okay for me to fall down in certain arenas so that i could manage myself you know where it really mattered and uh that failure is actually like an ingredient to success because we're going to have failure when we're trying to do something that is is difficult, right? Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned a few answers ago, losing your mom at such an early age led to you really seeking out female mentors and role models. And your first role model was a family au pair, a Czech woman named Petra. And toward the end of her year-long stay with your family, you admitted something to her. What did you say? How'd she respond? And why does that bit of advice resonate with you to this day? Yeah. So Petra, I like, she was just this like force, this force of a woman. She coached my basketball team. She, she was just such a a role model to me. And I told her that I wanted to be her. And I think a lot of times as like kids, or maybe even as adults, we like some, we can have this feeling of wanting to be somebody else that we admire. And what she told me was that I shouldn't try to be her because it was, you know, one impossible and two not useful. And she said that I should be a very big Alexi instead. And I really liked that. Um, at the time, I think it hurt a little bit to hear that because, and I think that maybe I wrote this in the book that, you know, it hurts to know you can do it. I think that's, she, she was telling me basically the best version of me would be manifesting, you know, my greatest self, not her, not, you know, following her path. And I think the point of a memoir in general is not to give people something to replicate exactly because we never need to and we can't really replicate a life, but we can look at, you know, what a person decided to do in certain scenarios and take what's useful for us and imitate or, you know, imitate how they think rather than exactly what they do. And I think that's what Petra, my my au pair, (laughs) um, taught me. We certainly can't tell your story without talking about the running side of things just a little bit. What's your earliest memory of running? Yes. Well, it's in the, I think it's the forward or the <laughs> the introduction to the book, but basically my very earliest, well, you know, my very, very earliest memory of running was, was when I was really, really little and had, you know, experienced some, ran into a very difficult situation with my mom and ran to like get help basically. But in, in practice it was, uh, my best friend was being made fun of in in I think second grade. And I chased after the boy who made fun of her and got in trouble (laughs) for stabbing him with a pencil. Um, but in actuality, you know, the sport I think came about, um, you know, in middle school and running is one of those things that I think we might discover, in another way, like it might be like a useful way for us to like tackle the boy we have a crush on, or it's how we got from here to there in a basketball game. And I think that is how I discovered running in a lot of ways was it was like a way to get a goal. Um, and it wasn't necessarily the goal itself initially. And then I came to love it eventually in college when I found like a team that I really enjoyed because I always loved teams. Yeah, you did run competitively in junior high and then the start of high school, but why did you not end up running competitively your last two years in high school? Yeah, so our coaches, 
um, at my high school um, wanted me and wanted all the runners really to stop doing any other activity. So to stop playing other sports, no student government, no theater and just run. And for me, you know, I was like, what, 15 years old or something at that time. And I just didn't feel ready to only to specialize. And I think that that kids are being teenagers are being encouraged to specialize a little bit young. And I was no exception. And so I was actually you know, basically kicked off my team when I, when I didn't feel like quitting every other activity. And so I didn't run junior and senior year of high school. I played competitive soccer and did student government and theater. And, and I'm glad that I did because I wasn't, I wasn't ready to like really go all in on running. And that's because the environment wasn't super positive. And I think had I, had I forced it, I probably wouldn't, have run after that and I probably would never have done you know gone to the Olympics or any of those things uh you know well it's interesting also that the silver lining that you see with not running competitively for two years actually allowed your body to develop properly versus a lot of other young women especially at that time who are putting themselves through such ridiculous rigors in terms of the training and the nutritional element of things that it actually does stunt their growth and lead to more issues down the road if they want to continue doing that. Yeah. Well, I commend your reading of Bravey. You are very well read. <laughs> um, and I totally agree. And, and talk about that, how, you know, puberty for women is like a superpower. But if we train too hard through those formative years, which for me were, you know, the junior and senior year of high school, when I, I actually allowed my body to, to not overtrain through that time, we can, you know, limit ourselves later on. And I think there is like a fundamental misunderstanding about like a female athlete's trajectory and how we peak a, a bit later if we allow ourselves to really build a solid foundation in puberty. And it's just so important that coaches and parents and athletes embrace the word development and and leave leave behind the idea that fitness should always come before health uh, because it's certainly more important to allow yourself to develop and be the like, you know, solid rock star castle you know of a foundation before you go out and and train super hard so it happened for me kind of on you know on accident because I wasn't allowed to run but I'm grateful that it that it did happen and I just hope that people choose to embrace puberty rather than you know happen upon it like I did on the subject of running, you write a lot about hating and even coping with the physical pain that every distance runner goes through during a run. What helps you overcome that pain? Yeah, I think that we're whether we're running or not. Well, first of all, so important to um, you know let people know that even Olympians experience pain. Like just because we, you know, are running at a different level doesn't mean it's not painful. And I think. As humans, you know, we are going to experience pain whether we choose to or not. And um, I tried to describe my relationship with pain in the book and how it had to evolve um, to embrace and expect pain, um, which, you know, I, go I went into much more detail about, like, how I do that. And, like, there's a process and there's ways for us to prepare ourselves for those moments so that we're not as offended when when the pain inevitably comes as it does in life and in dream chasing and in anything. 
Now, you end up going to Dartmouth, which helps to restoke your love of running. And it also helped to, I guess, reinvigorate you on the subject of love in general. Prior to that, though, what is the dorm room rule? And how did your future creative and marital partner, Jeremy, respect that rule after you guys met in college? Yeah, I I mean, I think I'm going to let people, like, read the book to, like, discover what that is, honestly. I okay. think it's, like, better something that I, like, wrote about than sharing here. But I think the, like, broader theme of it is just that I grew up, you know, latching onto certain, like, rules in my life because I, I felt that, like, my mom broke, like, a really fundamental rule, which is that you're allowed to choose when to leave this world. And I thought that felt unfair. And I think having those rules in my life, whether it's, like, I am someone who always works hard or whatever. They really helped me, but they also kind of hurt me because um, sometimes we we outgrow rules. And, and I think people will learn more about that when they read the whole story. But certainly, I think Jeremy's helped me break away from from some of the like laws that I created for myself to protect myself from what happened that maybe they were useful and then maybe I outgrew them eventually. And they would become limiting if I didn't evolve, you know? Who is Cynthia Huntington and why is she so important in your development as a writer and a runner? She was my poetry mentor um, at Dartmouth. And it was important to me to meet someone like that because, you know, I mean, I think mentors are important for anybody. And I think we can seek them out and, and never outgrow that muscle that chases mentorship and and she was particularly impactful to me because she was encouraging of my um creative and my athletic pursuits um and she helped me with a really some big decisions that I needed to make that really did change my life you're a big people watcher why was the dining hall within the olympic village such a fun place to do so while you were competing in the rio summer games the dining hall in the village is is amazing um, because it has the best people watching. I mean, every athlete has to eat, and there's this dining hall, the one dining hall, and it's open 24 hours a day. And I really loved being there because it was where athletes went to prepare and to celebrate, and really just like had their guard down, and we're just we're we're truly people. And so I had a lot of fun experiences there, observations, and and learning. You know, just that athletes are people, you know. You do a great job of explaining, describing your experience of actually competing in the Olympics, setting the Greek record for the 10,000 meter in the Olympics, which is obviously a a very proud point in your life. I didn't realize this until reading Bravey, though, Alexi. Most Olympians feel a post-Olympic depression after their participation. You've worked so hard to get to that point. When it's over, there's a void that's pretty impossible to fill for a certain amount of time afterward. Your post-Olympic depression actually turned into something much more serious. It ends up costing you sleep, sponsorship opportunities, stability in your pro career, and a whole lot more as well. How much were you thinking about your mom as all of this was transpiring and what eventually led you to seeking help, which is obviously something that's very difficult to ask for in a situation like that? Yeah, I mean, I think the the post-Olympic um, depression is something that 
becomes kind of like one of the tent poles of the book. And I think what people will learn in reading it is just how unexpected it can be for a lot of athletes and also just people and, you know, what, what it took to really turn it around for me, which was different than, than, you know, my mom's experience. And I think it's because I did get, I did get a different kind of help and developed a different kind of vocabulary that I wish that she had. Um, but I understand that that was a different time. And so I, I, I learned the hard way, you know, maybe what she must have felt. And then I approached it, um, and got help that, that had a completely different approach than she had. And I'm grateful for that because it definitely saved my life. And I hope that the, the experiences and the, the advice that I got and followed can help a lot of people. And not surprisingly, your dad was one of the most important people in helping you work your way through depression. As you were on the path to feeling better, he kept telling you that you'd get something out of the ordeal that you'd never had before. What did that turn out to be? Yeah, I think, you know, um, it was a set of tools for one thing and how to approach mental health moving forward because it's always going to be something that we all have to maintain just like our bodies, you know, and and a fearlessness um, for sure. Alexi Pappas is an award-winning writer, filmmaker, and Olympian who's telling her unique inspirational story in a memoir titled Bravey, Chasing Dreams, Befriending Pain, and Other Big Ideas. Alexi, thank you for the time today, and thank you for this book. I'm so grateful. And thanks to you for listening today. A reminder to check out booksonpod.com. You can hear all of our previous episodes, as well as subscribe to the show on various podcast platforms. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave a five-star rating and review. It helps us grow the show. We'll talk to you next time on Books on Pod. <laughs>